0: We are back. More specifically, I am back. This is Football Life Presents The Audible. Uh, I want to thank Corey Decker right off the top for holding it down for me last week. As Matt Bushnell, uh, I'm vaccinated, bud. Let's get together and hang out. Come on, let's do it.
1: Yeah, I, I am sorry, Randy. I am having some background noise here.
0: I. All right, Matt Matt Bushnell, uh, you know, a little bit of a zoo over there in Arizona. That's okay. Uh, But this is episode 55 on this April 20th. uh, For those who celebrate 420, I hope you enjoy your day. Um, Matt Bushnell, episode 55, what is the first player with number 55 that you can think of?
1: Well, I mean, back in my day with the 85 Bears, you know, uh, Wilbur Marshall is one of the more infamous linebackers in Chicago Bears history. But another linebacker that is a favorite of so many, Lance Briggs. Um, oh, that's a good the current one. Bear generation.
0: Very what good about, linebacker for a long time.
1: Yeah. What about you with the Giants?
0: Well, nobody really particular comes to mind with the Giants. Uh, Kabika Mitchell wore 55 on that Super Bowl team in 2007, but not really any big name. He was just a guy who ended up finding himself in a couple of uh, successful situations uh, during that run. But uh, i got a couple basketball names for you that come to mind. Uh, Jason Williams, White Chocolate, the, the exciting point guard. He used to play for the uh, Kings in the uh, Heat, uh, former Duke point guard. Our friend Jacob Moses will probably appreciate that shout-out. And then you mentioned before the show, uh, there's commercials on TV all the time the cam uh you were number 55 as well so uh do do MBA shout outs here on the on the uh, <laughs> ball life presents the automobileball little life group crossover as they happen all too often here I'm sure our ball is life guys will we'll appreciate that and Cory Decker shouts out uh, Chandler motherfucking jones so (laughs) and the jones bitches it's a good one too uh we have a jam-packed show we're gonna end it with some draft talk specifically on the defensive side of the ball so if there's anyone that you have your eye on for your team feel free to add us in the comments and we can talk about them admittedly i have only been able to watch tape on you know 20 some guys i think that's quite a bit actually, considering I'm not a draft analyst, but uh, you know, it's not a great draft defensively, Matt Bushnell. Um, You know, we could see 10 picks here in the first round before a defensive player gets taken.
1: Yeah. To to me, I think we walked through it and I mean, we could go through the teams again, Randy, it is such a um, turbulent top 10 I would say, but three teams that stand out to me, the Panthers, the Broncos and the Cowboys. Those three teams seem like they would be one of the most likely to draft a defensive player given a specific spot. So I, I wouldn't count on a defensive player not being drafted in the top 10. But let's face it. I mean, it, it is loaded with wide receiver talent and quarterback talent. Well, to some quarterback talent. I think it's more desperate teams.
0: (laughs) Everyone's a quarterback talent when you're in need of one, right? Uh, You talk yourself into a guy, and that's how that that all happens. But we're going to talk about that a little later on. But we got some news to discuss. Uh, a plethora of retirements uh, and some since the last time we spoke. And, you know, obviously it's been two weeks since I've been on the show. So uh, we might be catching up on some of this stuff. So bear with us there. You know, we wanted to discuss this together. Um, You know, the COVID vaccine knocked me on my ass last week, but I'm back ready to talk football with you, Matt. Let's get into it. The first retiree was today. Let's get off. start off with the first one. And it's Jordan Reed, the Washington football team tight end and the San Francisco 49er tight end. Plagued with concussion issues his whole career uh, at 30 years old, decided to finally hang up the cleats.
1: Yeah. I mean, w- what could have been with Jordan Reed, such a fantastic tight end, especially with Washington in his earlier days, um, really underrated and underappreciated when he played in an era with a lot of great tight ends. I think he caught a little bit of Tony Gonzalez's twilight Antonio Gates was still around And then Mm -hmm. he entered with Gronk, kind of being the number one tight end. Then also you had um, Travis Kelsey emerge as that big weapon for the Kansas City Chiefs. So to me, Jordan Reed's very underappreciated, really, really solid tight end. More known for his receiving prowess, but he wasn't a bad blocker either. He did fairly well at that, so... Definitely not a Hall of Famer, you know, so we can cut that out right now if anybody <laughs> thinks he is, <laughs> but uh, a very good player, you know, you hate to see concussions under career, but that's what we have here.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be the forgotten guy in this uh, tight end renaissance we've kind of experienced a little bit here. Um, As great as Gronk and Travis Kelsey and George Kittle were, he was the guy who kind of, uh, he didn't change things, but he also was like one of the more dynamic pass catching tight ends in the last decade. And he, you know, will be forgotten about, unfortunately, due to his injuries. Uh, He finished his career with 3,600 receiving yards, 28 touchdowns, 355 career receptions. I mean, all things considered, those are pretty good numbers and you you can't help but to think what could have been if it wasn't for all of that so uh you know jordan reed you know good for you on realizing these issues that you've had too i think a lot of guys hold on a little bit too long and he you know admitted that um the, you know the issues he's had with his concussions are not worth it any longer so uh no shame in that uh congrats on the, the career uh and i think another congrats to a career also also owed to one of his former teammates and this is one of the more interesting careers in NFL history to me. And we, I, we talked a bit about him a ton because he won the comeback player of the year. But Alex Smith played 16 years in the NFL – I don't know how many people remember. I, I I know that you remember, and I remember pretty well. But your number one overall pick in 2005, uh, unfortunately overshadowed by the fall of Aaron Rodgers in that draft, picked 24th, and obviously Aaron Rodgers became the top you know five quarterback ever. But Alex Smith really went from one of the worst rookie quarterback seasons ever and one of the worst rookie contracts ever, and it turned around towards the end to turning out to having a, a decent career for himself, all things considered. So, uh, not only the comeback player of the year for Alex Smith, probably the comeback player of a career for Alex. So nice job on not becoming an all-time bust, but a serviceable quarterback for a long time.
1: Yeah, that career had so many twists and turns. I think at one point in San Francisco, he went almost, I think, three or four seasons in a row with a new offensive system that he had to learn each year. And he really lacked stability with the 49ers until Mm -hmm. Jim Harbaugh got there and really kind of settled some things down for him. To me, Alex Smith... What can you say about the guy? He found a home in Kansas City, really turned some heads with some pretty good years. And then, you know, God decided to bless Patrick Mahomes with the right <laughs> arm. <laughs> and that was just, you know, Patrick Mahomes took over, won a Super Bowl, went to another, went to three straight AFC championships. And you wonder, was it Patrick Mahomes that took him over the hump? Mm-hmm. Or did or Alex Smith could have got them there? Obviously, I think we know it's Patrick Mahomes at this point. Um, But but Alex Smith was your middle tier quarterback could do a lot of good things, made some differences, but at the end of the day, you know, what we will remember Alex Smith for is that gruesome leg injury. It just, you you take a look at it. Joe Theismann-esque kind of poetic that it was both Washington quarterbacks that had such a horrific leg injury. So, I mean, Here we are, Randy, reminiscing on Alex Smith. Uh, He tried to play again, wanted to go to Jacksonville. Urban Meyer, not that interested, his ex-college coach. And, you know, the comeback player of the year is now the retired player
0: Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for the NFL to name that award in his honor now. Uh, He's no longer in the league. Uh, He fought back from one of the worst injuries that you would ever seen on a football field. And uh, on top of that, he was almost uh, almost had to get his leg amputated and doctors thought there was a real chance he could have died from it. I cannot stress the importance and how serious that really was for him. Um, he talked about a lot of um, how when he was even alive, he didn't you know, care about anything other than being able to walk with his kids again. And then someone put a football in his hands and something changed, and it made him want to go play the game that uh, changed his life forever. And, you know, credit to him for for bouncing back and turning uh, that into a season. I mean, the, the Washington football team was 5-1 and one with him at quarterback this past year. He obviously had limitations. Obviously, I cringed every time he dropped back, but <laughs> But uh, inspiring, nonetheless, from Alex Smith and a hell of a career, 16 years. Um, I, I, you know, this is the thing. I, I, so I'm going to just make a, a little tangent here. Every time someone makes an argument for someone being in the Hall of Fame, they say, you can't tell the story of the NFL without this guy. So he should be in the Hall of Fame. You can't tell the story without the NFL of the NFL without Alex Smith to me. And he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't think anyone would ever argue that. So to me, that argument is a little bit flawed, anyone who ever makes that. Because to me, number one overall pick in 2005. Literally, his being, him being picked first sort of started the Rodgers fall in the draft, and the Rodgers aspect of his story is very interesting. Um, and the California kid didn't get picked by the San Francisco 49ers, but Alex Smith did, and then uh, Alex Smith – um gets benched for Colin Kaepernick who is one of the more uh, polarizing figures in NFL history for obvious reasons but they make it to a Super Bowl with with Colin Kaepernick uh and Alex Smith probably wonders hey I wonder if I could have won that Super Bowl if I started there I mean I don't know I think Kaepernick was probably a better fit for that offense but then as you mentioned the Patrick Mahomes aspect of this the Chiefs were uh had the number one overall pick in 2011 they bring in Alex Smith and they already had talent but then Andy the Andy Reid Alex Smith uh uh, thing sort of turns everything around, and it leads up to the Patrick Mahomes decision. And then Patrick Mahomes sitting behind a guy like Alex Smith for a year, I think, certainly helped his rise to be the greatest quarterback in the league today. So Alex Smith's story is certainly an interesting one. Uh, and I don't know. I, I I just like looking back on this career of Alex Smith and saying you haven't seen a ton of guys with a career like this.
1: Yeah, I—I I mean, how often do we take a look at it? Yes, Jose Abreu just hit a home run. Thank you, Jose. Uh, so sorry for that baseball interruption, folks. But yeah, to be replaced by Colin Kaepernick, one of the more polarizing athletes, and I, I think in a lot of good ways, Colin Kaepernick did some good. Obviously, we can critique mm-hmm. some of the things that we're not so, you know, happy about. But overall, more good by a far margin than bad, mm-hmm. and you know so that story kind of writes itself and then he goes to kansas city and then he's replaced by some people me included saying that he got replaced by the greatest quarterback that we may ever see in the nfl Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of weird and then he goes to washington and breaks his leg Mm -hmm. in a very similar fashion to you know joe theisman one Mm -hmm. of the more iconic washington quarterbacks just a really weird career
0: randy it's
1: mm-hmm. just you, you couldn't write this if you tried so yeah.
0: He's got, I mean, I, I look back on this career as one of a, an inspiring one and one that he never gave up on himself. And uh, I respect the hell out of Alex Smith for that. I'm sure if you're a 49ers fan, you have regrets <laughs> of what could have been <laughs> if you picked the other guy. But nonetheless, Alex Smith, great guy. Hard to not root for him and uh, best of luck to him. Now, the final retirement that we have not gotten the chance to talk about, although we have talked about one of the talking points post retirement on this show just recently, but Julian Edelman uh, announced on, I believe, on Twitter or Instagram that he was retiring his 12 year run with the Patriots is over. And then this created a storm of all this is Julian Edelman a hall of famer talk. Now we did a hall of fame segment based on active players just about a month ago. Both of you and I agree, he's not a Hall of Famer, and I'm just going to spit off some numbers, and he's not even number one on any of these Patriots lists for the most part. Uh, 620 career receptions, second in franchise history, fourth in uh, receiving yards, uh, 6,822, and, you know, overall, you know, not a ton of touchdowns. You're basing this argument on the postseason success, and I understand that. But the overall body of work still has to be there. He has three Super Bowl rings. He has one of the most uh, important catches in Super Bowl history. I don't think it's the greatest catch, but it is one of the most important catches in Super Bowl history. Uh, and he won a Super Bowl MVP. So as a wide receiver, that is cool too. But he's not the only guy to ever do that, and he's not the only guy to ever do that that won't be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> See, uh, Deon Branch, a former Patriot as well. So to me, I, this doesn't change anything. Julian Edelman should be in the Ring of Honor and Foxborough without a doubt. Does not mean
1: he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, this is my biggest issue with the Julian Edelman to Hall of Fame category. Championships are team, you know, team trophies. It's the Hall of Fame's your individual stature. Where do you fall on the career spectrum? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I can't think, and I hate to say this if you let Julian Edelman into the Hall of Fame, shit man you're gonna to have to open it up to a lot of guys that don't deserve it mm-hmm. and that's where I kind of draw the line usually I'm one of the, these people that you know I'm more open to football hall of fame just because it's so hard to really you know judge what their jobs were and everything like that but it took Terrell Owens how many mm-hmm. times to get into Three. the hall of fame Three times. Trell owns arguably one of the top three wide receivers that ever played this game. And mm-hmm. you're telling me Julian Edelman gets in? Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, until you start letting in all of these guys that deserve to get in, way ahead of Julian Edelman, way ahead. You know, he, he's not better than Art Monk, and Art Monk, I rightfully, is in, no question about it. But you're talking guys like Curtis Conway, um, yeah, Calvin Johnson deservedly got in. I think we both recognize that. Yeah. But Ed McCaffrey.
0: Uh, I mean, up, I think a better version of him was Heinz Ward, and he's not in.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to let Heinz Ward in at that point. Like, mm-hmm. n- no, Julian Edelman's not a Hall of Famer. Not, not in my book. Um, Felipe brings up another name, Danny Amendola. Like, Danny,
0: is Wes Welker a Hall of Famer? You know, to, to I mean, Wes go- Welker has better career numbers than, than Julian Edelman does. I'll sit here and tell you that I think Julian Edelman is a better football player than Wes Welker. But, you know, number-wise, Wes Welker, it, the, the stats are kinder to Welker.
1: Yeah, I, I just – to me, if he gets in, it's based off of he played for the Patriots and he wrote other coattails. He does not deserve to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. N- not be. in this universe, not in any other universe, nothing We'll change my mind on that. If he gets in the hall of fame is a crock of shit. (laughs)
0: It's it's similar experience to the Yankees dynasty of the 90s where that team had two obvious Hall of Famers, and it was Jeter and Mariano Rivera. You know, Bernie Williams is a hell of a baseball player, but he's not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Tino Martinez is a hell of a baseball player, not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Same with Paul O'Neill, same with Jorge Posada. All those guys had legitimate cases too. I think Andy Pettit, if he weren't for some steroid accusations or steroid uh, uh, controversies that he could have potentially gotten in as well. The problem with the Patriots dynasty is that it all revolves around tom brady and bill belichick those are the guys that make everyone else around them better and those guys can be great franchise legends but it does not mean they're legends in the sport as a whole um to me uh edelman can't get in over three guys in particular three wide receivers tory holt is not in the hall of fame reggie wayne is not in the hall of fame and heinz ward as i mentioned is not in the hall of fame he's not better than any of those three guys uh those three guys are our hall of famers to me and they had postseason success i will say this uh, Julian Edelman to the level of postseason success ranks second in NFL history in postseason receptions, and I believe postseason yards are only behind Jerry Rice. So that is something I'll give him that. That I mean, it helps you're playing with Tom Brady, and you had as many opportunities as you had. But nonetheless, Julian Edelman, great postseason performer. Maybe even Robert Ori uh, is a good <laughs> comparison to him because Robert Ori has seven rings and it always came up big in, in a big spot in the postseason. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that's not going to be good enough overall. You need a whole body of work. You need it all put together. And you can mention Eli Manning case. He's got two rings, two Super Bowl MVPs, but he also has the regular season numbers and longevity to back up his case. I'm not saying he's going to get in, but I'm saying it's a better case. Um, but the whole Julian Edelman Hall of Fame conversation is, is just sort of silly to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I go back to what Felipe said too. Like we see him comment. Isaac Bruce is another mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Like, I mean I can I can go off on guys that deserve to get in. Um I had one at the top of my mind and I forgot Plax Coburas is another guy, arguably one of the most important catches in Super Bowl history. One
0: of the most so, dominant postseason runs. I mean, he really was dominant that whole playoffs.
1: Yeah, but it, the Hall of Fame resume is not built in the playoffs. It's also not built in just the regular season. It's the totality right. of a career. Mm-hmm. And at some point, to me, if you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, you, you have to be dominant. You have to be the guy on the field that other teams have to worry about. Because I could, go, I could go with the 2006 Bears since episode 55, very poetic. Mm-hmm. Ryan Urlacher is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the most important member in that defense. He's the Tom Brady in this scenario. Lance yes. Briggs is the Julian Edelman. Lance mm-hmm. Briggs, in my estimation, is not a Pro Football Hall of Famer. And Lance Briggs is a better football player than Julian Edelman.
0: No so, doubt about it. No. Th-
1: th- th- that's where it ends for me.
0: I made this comparison to Edelman before, but he is the Patriots' Justin Tuck. You cannot – like, Justin Tuck's importance to the Giants is massive, and everything he meant to that team and that organization is massive, and he should be in the the ring of honor for the Giants, and they should retire number 91. He's not a Hall of Famer. And I'm not even going to get mad at anyone who's like, oh, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. You're right. He shouldn't be. But that doesn't mean he wasn't important to the Giants in those two Super Bowl runs, so – uh, congrats to Julian Edelman on a great career. I mean, he was a 232nd pick <laughs> in, the, in the 2009 draft. I mean, did it turn it into that career? Hell of a job by Julian Edelman um, helps. He got drafted to the Patriots and the, the greatest quarterback ever and all that, but you know, you, you could have been, you could have been a nobody. So good for him. All right, Matt Bush. that's the, that's the retirement news of the week. Uh, now let's move on to some free agent news and one name in particular uh, as a big name, maybe lacking in production the last couple of years, but the Cleveland Browns signing Jadavian Clowney to a one-year deal worth $10 million. They now have two number one overall picks on that defensive line along with Miles Garrett, but uh, you know, Hey, Jadavian Clowney got 10 million after not recording a single sack in all of 2020. So this might be all name at this point, right, Matt?
1: It feels like that, Randy. I can't get the thought out of my head of, where does Jadavion Clowney fall on number one overall picks Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things? And largely, he didn't – what people will see is that hit against Michigan, like just blowing through the line and just blowing that running back up, just totally smoked him. I think he even got flagged for it, to be honest. So, Mm -hmm. to me, taking a look at Jadavion Clowney's career, he's had to have supporting cast members to really – accentuate how good he is he can't do it on his own jj watt in houston was really good with jj um, in houston yeah and i'm thinking mario edwards too i'm not mario sure if i got the name right mario williams there we go and then um also with whitney yeah. merciless also in houston so to me Jadavian, he's not that guy where you know you're like okay that this is my khalil Mack. this is my aaron donald This is my, um, you know, Bosa brother, pick one, Joey Mm -hmm. or Nick. So I I think at the end of the day, you take a look at Jadavion Clowney. He's going to benefit from Miles Garrett. Let's face it. Miles Garrett's that dude. He doesn't need anybody else. So while Garrett's drawing the double teams, it's going to let Clowney get those one-on-ones. You know, to me, this is his last shot at making an impact in the NFL. If he doesn't do it now, he's just, I don't want to say he's a first-round bust because he's had some very good yeah, years,
0: that, but the steam sort of running out a little yeah, bit here.
1: Yeah, not looking good. Not looking. So good. you know,
0: he had he played over 400 snaps for the Titans last year and didn't record a single sack. But what he has going for him, like you mentioned, is Miles Garrett being on the other side of the football, which he didn't have anything like that in Tennessee. So already the situation is better for him. And the Browns have made moves. They added John Johnson. They added Troy Hill, Anthony Walker, Malik Jackson, Tack McKinley. So, I mean, they are putting together uh, a talented defensive roster and it's all about if they can put it together. Uh, I could see Clowney coming in, uh, rejuvenated, re-energized, looking to get after the quarterback. And who knows, maybe they can catch uh, lightning in a bottle with him and Miles Garrett. I'm not worried about Miles Garrett, regardless. We've seen Mm -hmm. how much of a beast that man is, regardless who's on the other side of the ball. But uh, they let go of Olivier Vernon. So he's going to kind of He'd be plugged right into that role, and I'm sure he's much healthier than Olivier Vernon. So, look, a 10 million dollar contract. I think only four and a half is guaranteed. So, I don't hate the deal for Cleveland. Uh, It's kind of a low risk, high reward situation. And if Clowney falters once again, then he's going to, you know, be phased out of the league uh, at that point. So, uh, I like the move for the Browns, and we'll see what happens there. All right. Now some news I really wanted to talk about last week, but then this vaccine really knocked me on my ass and I was really upset about it, but I'm glad you're giving me the chance to mention it now. Uh, The NFL is considering, and I want to get this right because I don't think they've done it yet, um, but they are expected to allow altered Jersey numbers this year. So one of the cooler things about college football to me is that when you watch a guy game, you see like a defensive tackle and he's wearing number six. Like, I think that's so cool. (laughs) Like fat guy wearing a small number. Like, I don't know what it is about that, but it's cool. So like as currently constructed, the NFL numbers have always been like quarterback one through 19 running backs, 20 to 50 or 20 to 49 linebackers, 40 to 59 And then in in the 90s, you have defensive, uh, offensive linemen in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, wide receivers in the 80s. And they recently started letting them wear teens. So they were wearing teens as well. Defensive linemen are primarily in the 90s as well. So now they're letting them be a little bit more creative with it. So, quarterback, with this new new, uh, information, what what would change would be so quarterback, punter, kicker would stay the same. That's one through 19. Running back would be one through 49. Also eighty through eighty nine, so it's not just the twenty to forty nine. It's also like you could have a guy back there wearing number eighty eight, like uh, Ty Montgomery did a couple of years ago with the with the Packers. So that would be interesting. Uh, maybe a Reggie Bush number five back there. I love that in, in in college too. Uh, defensive back also one through forty nine. Typically defensive backs were twenty through forty nine. Uh, you didn't see much else than that. So that's interesting too. That I mean you could see a defensive back wearing any number now. Uh, linebacker also. Number one through 59 in linebacker. That's a big change because linebackers typically, you know, in the 50s, 40s and 50s, Uh, offensive linemen, 50 through 79. Not much of a change there. Defensive linemen, 50 through 79 and 90 through 99. So not a ton of changes there, but there's enough changes here that could make this pretty interesting to me. I wish they allowed defensive linemen to have different numbers, but nonetheless, uh, this could be kind of exciting, I think.
1: Yeah, I was always a fan of, you know, um, the Reggie Bush five in the backfield, especially for USC. That that, that always brought some fun to the game. Um, yeah, defensive linemen, seeing the fat guys wear those lower digits is always great. I forgot what... Uh, what the player's name was, but for South Carolina, he was like 330 pounds. Mm -hmm. He had this little tiny zero on his big fat belly, (laughs) just uh, just taking up blockers. But yeah, I mean, it's fun. I kind of wish the NFL would just kind of forego position numbering. I get why they do it. Um, I don't think any wide receiver is going to choose number 60 Mm or 60 through 60 maybe 69 for perverted reasons but hey you know what that's a different show different day but um, I'm a fan of letting the players choose their numbers and it doesn't I don't like the position specific I like it that they opened it up now though I I think it adds a little more fun to the game you know we talk about a lot of sports and a lot of these groups and how things market each other what the NFL do, the NFL is very cerebral in how it allows things. Like they took away the celebrate the celebrations. Now they kind of brought them back. They say, oh, you know, that probably wasn't the best idea. And -hmm. then we see them, you know, with the Nickelodeon game, which Mm -hmm. was a huge hit, Mm -hmm. um, really paid big dividends for them so much so that they're going to be including those in their programming with their new TV contracts. And then we see, you know, with the numbers i I like how they're opening things up expand your audience you know really kind of build that bridge to a a younger more youthful um audience Mm -hmm. really leading the way there i believe
0: Yeah. And also, like you played football at every level almost, but like when you're in high school or at a lower level, you pick the best players get the lower numbers, it seems. And you're a quarterback or a receiver or whatever, you kind of get to pick the litter on what number you want. Uh, Especially, you know, in in baseball, it used to be, you know, it went based on size. So if you were the fat kid, you got number 15. You're the skinny kid, you got number one. But football, you got kind of got to pick whatever number you wanted. So now you can have that same number that you fell in love with when you were in high school in college. And now you can have it again when you go to the pros because a lot of times you see these guys are forced to change numbers based on these restrictions. So I would have loved to see Reggie Bush wear number five with the Saints. That would have been cool. Um, you know, I mentioned Reggie Bush earlier, but in general, you know, you see a lot of these guys are like especially position players have to change their number when they get there. And corners, a lot of corners wear numbers in the teens in, in college, a lot of them wear numbers in the in the single digits. So you're going to see a lot of that be the same. It's going to be confusing at first, and I'm really interested to see the different dynamics of the numbers now because you're so used to seeing a boxed 80 number with a receiver against a number in the 20s and in the corner. Uh, but now the matchups are endless uh, with that. You know what I wish they did, though? Uh, and they won't because the quarterback means so much to the sport. But one of the most iconic college football highlights is the Doug Flutie Hail Mary, and he's wearing number 22 <laughs> at quarterback. <laughs> why do you like quarterbacks where you know at least up to 30 that would have been interesting but uh they love quarterbacks too much and Uh, They won't change that, but this, I just want to point out, this isn't just for no reason. Uh, The chiefs proposed this rule um, because they ran into a shortage of available numbers in the 20 to 49 range last season, because they have numbers 28, 33, 36, and 37 retired. And everyone hates the Yankees, but look at the chiefs ruining football. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) But nonetheless, this should uh, clear up any of those issues as well. Um, Well,
1: little fun Chicago fact here. The Chicago Bears have the most retired numbers in the NFL, my friend.
0: Okay, so maybe it'll cause uh, free up some issues for them as well. Are they a lot of uh, linemen and linebacker numbers? No quarterbacks, I assume.
1: (laughs) You had to go there. Sid (laughs) Luckman, my friend. Sid Luckman. Um, You know, Bill Sayers, Walter Payton, obviously the two big ones with Mm -hmm. Mike Singletary, that number 50, and then Dick Mm -hmm. Buckus, number 51. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, a lot of linebackers there and some red Grange. Um, you know, we got some we got some skill position players back in the
0: 40s. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know. I'm sure Giants have a few, but they don't. it took them four years to retire Michael Strahan's number. So maybe it's not as much as I thought, uh, you know, many guys in the league now more than single digits that had to get their number changed. And for the record, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, just to name a few guys. And there's a number of defensive players who had to do the same thing. So uh, I like the idea of letting these guys keep their numbers. Uh, all right. I can't wait to see it on the field too. I just think it's going to look cool. Uh, all right. We're gonna talk a little bit of draft-related things going on right now. Um, you know, Matt, uh, we both agree that Trevor Lawrence is uh, an unbelievable talent and probably the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, and is this can't-miss of, of a of a player that you can have. Um, he came out. There's an SI article about him, and sort of it kind of got some backlash because I want to read you a little bit of a quote uh, that he had here. Um, and this is not out of context, just talking about his love for the game. And he basically, he says, it's hard to explain that because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do and it's really important to me, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that and I can't manufacture it. And I don't want to, that kind of got some backlash as if he's saying he doesn't love football. And I I think that's kind of taking it out of context a little bit. You have to understand this guy's been like the best prospect, best player at every level he's ever been at. There's no chip on his shoulder to be had here. No one has ever really doubted him at any point in his career. So I kind of get what he's saying here. Like, I can't just fake and say nobody believes in me because that's not real. To me, this is a genuine thought that he had, and I don't think it really uh, takes away anything from him. But I think some people are a little concerned about this sort of California cool thing with Trevor Lawrence going on.
1: Yeah, I think on my end, when I take a look at Trevor Lawrence, I don't worry about the chip on the shoulder. To me, that's you know manufactured motivation. Mm-hmm. Do, do I want the guy to be real or do I want the guy to be fake? And I agree with him completely. You can't <clears throat> manufacture emotions and feelings. To me, that makes you on a, on a th- unauthentic, mm-hmm. and th- that's one of the worst things you could be, especially in front of your teammates. If the guy's working his ass off to be the best. And, you know, that's a goal. That doesn't mean he has a chip on his shoulder. That just means he wants to be the best. Um, you know, Payne Manning, his whole life was heralded as being, you know, this football savant. And he fulfilled every aspect of it. I don't think Payton ever had a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things. It's the Michael Jordan crowd, I, I think, that really comes into this. Mm-hmm. Where every game he has to have something to fuel him. This hatred for, mm-hmm. you know... Um, clyde drexler saying he's on the same level to me whatever works for the player whatever makes you great don't be fake about it be genuine about it and that's what makes the player so much better i think in the long run so to me it's much to do about nothing you cannot have a chip on your shoulder and still love the game of football like do you need to have a chip on your shoulder to get married right like all of this stuff is just completely <laughs> ridiculous looking for a narrative that doesn't doesn't exist
0: it's these it's this aaron Rodgers tom brady level of thinking that everyone has to have a slight of some kind you know tom brady was a sixth round pick and no one believed in him and he wanted to prove that he was the greatest now aaron Rodgers, he fell to the 24th and how dare everyone pass on him and now everyone you know he's only won one super bowl so he always uses that as a you know as a slight so like I, I personally, you know, I've always looked for things to motivate me. But in general, my own personal life and my own personal goals motivate me. Why is that not any different than this? Uh, no, just because you're in the public eye and no one has ever said, you know what, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to be that good. Or I think Trevor Lawrence's hair is stupid. And he just uses that to try to rip your head off. Like, no, he's just saying, I'm confident in my ability. And uh, I have no reason to act like I'm something that I'm not. And I appreciate that this got a little misconstrued too, because in the article, he says, there's also more things in life than playing football. And that obviously got a reaction because people are like, Oh, I want you to, you know, little, you know, eat, sleep and breathe football. And I'm sure, you know, when you're as good as Trevor Lawrence, you do. Um, but there's also this, you know, we live in a world now, everyone's a little bit more socially conscious of everything. And you see guys retire earlier in their careers. They say, all right, I played this. I did this. It's time for me to walk away and live a life. Um, and, you know he he brings up a good point because he says and he think he says I think the people mistake that for me not being a competitor and I think that's unhealthy to a certain extent. I just always think that you've got to prove somebody wrong, you've got to do some do more, and you've got to do better. And then his wife, uh, his fiance comments. She says that also you, uh, usually leads to sadness as well, like always striving for something new or something more and something better. We've seen this in NFL for fifty plus years. Like why is anyone shocked that, that uh, this new guy who has an understanding of how football has been realizes that. Guys have literally killed themselves because they've played this game for too long and have put their bodies and their minds at risk for, you know, for the betterment of entertainment. And, you know, they probably better their families' lives by making a lot of money, but he's also understanding like I can do this and also still live a life. That's what I don't understand. People aren't willing to have this conversation. Like this is going to be a theme with players going forward. If it's not already.
1: It's complete BS on my perspective with this, because take a look at Andrew Luck as the prime example. Andrew 100%. Luck very intelligent. He got the shit beat out of him on a regular basis. Just pounded and obliterated. And he wanted to do other things. A highly intelligent human being. I think Andrew Luck may be one of the smartest prospects to ever come out of the draft. And Craig Krenzel is probably the smartest because I don't even know what molecular bioengineering is. But that's what he majored in. So, But Andrew Luck, architect, was doing a lot of good things out there. So when Trevor Lawrence says this, every quarterback is thinking this. Everyone's thinking about a brand, something to do, life after football. You have to have a plan, especially when you get in there. If football is the only thing that you know and the only thing that you can do in life, I can't imagine how it feels at the end of the day. We could talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady's consumed with it. But look, he's got endorsement deals. Mm-hmm. The guy is doing his fitness. You know, t- Tom Brady's going to be a fitness spokes mogul in that world for a long time to come when his career is over with. Patrick Mahomes bought part of the Kansas City Royals. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes is going to make a lot of money throughout his career. I'm not faulting these guys for having a life outside of football. I think it's healthy and I think it's better for the players. It shows a way out. And mm-hmm. uh, with the abuse, everything that you take, these guys have been playing football three years in college, four years in high school, for the most part, Peewee, and then even some in the NFL. I think the average career spent in the NFL is three seasons. The amount of punishment that these guys are taking on a day-to-day basis is more than I think a lot of people can comprehend. Joe Schmo, you know, even myself, you know, I played one year at college football and my body just broke down. I couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I had to make adjustments and it was hard. So I applaud Trevor Lawrence.
0: Maybe it's a good thing Trevor Lawrence is going to end up Jacksonville and not the Jets, because I think Jets fans would have absolutely lost their freaking minds uh at, at these comments. Uh and in any big media market in general, I think they would have uh, lost their shit. And, and and you know, I can just see in the future the the Jags having a big loss and him just going, you know, you know, we didn't do the right thing, you know, he's not that mad about it. You know, he just says, you know, we'll fix it. And it's not this sort of um, that he's not upset or not angry, he just learns how to contain his emotions. So I can see that being a, a talking point later in Trevor Lawrence's career, but For anyone wondering, Trevor Lawrence, uh, pretty damn good uh, in college. If you need to go look up the numbers, feel free to do so. Uh, I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence, one iota. All right, so uh, before we move on to our defensive prospects, there are some teams looking to make some trades, Matt Bushnell. uh, The latest as of today, the Giants, uh, I'm sure, Back to the, I'm even saying this, but apparently are interested in trading down. Dave Gettleman must have his eye on some hot dogs and a, you know, a family size bag of Doritos or something because they had a golden opportunity to do this each of the last three years when they had the number two overall pick, the number six overall pick, and the number four overall pick. Now that they're not in the top six, all of a sudden they want to trade back. Make it make sense, Matt Bushnell, because that doesn't make any logical sense to me.
1: So to to me, I have to wonder, uh, because we heard about this, a lot of teams now in the top 10 are trying to trade down. And and now we hear the Giants are trying to trade down. The Giants, to me, I think they have an inclination that an elite player that they want is not going to be there. I Mm -hmm. don't think they want to trade up. So I think they know that either, well, I think they know that Pitts, Chase, Smith, and Waddle are all going to be gone before eleven. Mm-hmm. that is my gut feeling here if they stay at 11 i think they're going to be forced to take an offensive lineman fine <laughs> Give me, i'll
0: happily take slater i would
1: yeah i mean he's going to be a really good left tackle and then you can move uh what's his name brown thomas thomas yeah thomas over to right tackle which yeah that pick is coming home to rue but at the end of the day you know, you, you, solidify your offensive line or you trade back. This is a deep, deep, deep offensive line draft. Yeah. If you can afford not to get a top tackle trade back, you know, acquire some additional picks here. If you need a cornerback, this draft is loaded with corners. Mm-hmm. Now the elite ones, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth, but I also believe there's about six to seven cornerbacks in this draft that are very good i only think one of them is a shutdown corner and if you can get him you're in business i think the other guys probably a two or a slot corner but very capable of shutting down a number two or a slot wide receiver so we'll
0: talk about about specific guys here in, in just a bit but you know this idea that the Giants are trying to pretend that they understand positional value or draft positional value is, is insane to me uh they selected a running back number two overall uh, and they selected the fourth best offensive tackle at number four overall so miss me with this idea that you understand anything about where you where you're picking and who's valuable where so you trade back and you get a pick later in the draft or next year whatever great I'm fine with it i will always advocate for any team and, you know for the most part uh trading back um, but this is hilarious to me all right (laughs) a few other teams in the now there are you know three teams in the top 10 um, looking to move back we have the falcons at number four they are in an interesting position because they don't know if they want to rebuild or continue with matt ryan or what the hell is going on they have to figure that out with their new head coach uh the the dolphins moved from number three to number 12 now up to number six and now it looks like they want to move back from number six once again and then also the Carolina Panthers before we came on the show were rumored to be shopping number eight. So I, I think the Falcons could get a king's ransom for number four if there's a team out there that loves Justin Fields or Trey Lance or one of these quarterbacks. Because uh, I think you know three quarterbacks are going in the top three, but I think the Falcons are in a prime position to truly get a player, uh, get a get a ton. But I mean I don't know what teams out there that wants one of these guys, but they are in the best spot to me
1: this scares the shit out of me right now because I know I joke around with not being a bears fan, but obviously the bears are kind of in my bloodline at this point and I want them to be good, but you speak desperation into the air and what's the first team that comes to everybody's, you know, it's the, it's the bears, your GM and your head coach are both on the hot seat. You signed Andy fucking Dalton the Seahawks didn't take that trade. The, the Bears are going to trade two to three first round picks to move up to four. And this is what scares the shit out of me. It, they are going to do this and it is going to turn out awful. And it's either Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. I, I don't want to see it. Now, if they stay at 20, great. But to me, this is just setting up. They're like, all right, well, the Falcons may want to trade, the Dolphins may want to trade, and the, and the Panthers may want to trade. And it's going to be like, okay, let's call Ryan Pace. Let's see what we can get out of the Bears. And they're going to do it, Randy. M- mark my words. This team offered S- Roquan Smith, Khalil Mack, three ones, a couple of twos, a couple of threes and a fourth rounder for Russell Wilson. And that's Russell Wilson. I get that. That makes sense. But this team is quarterback desperate. I hope to God ownership says, no, you're not going to do this. The only other team that makes sense to move up that high is the Washington football club, but I don't think they're that desperate either. So to, to me, this has got Chicago bears, Screwed up, written all over it, and it scares the shit out of me.
0: I don't know why Bears fans are so desperate. I mean, they got Andy Dalton, baby, the Red Rifle. Come on, you got your franchise quarterback in the future. You guys are good. We,
1: we we do not want to move up. The majority of Bears fans are going to tell you, just let's get through this year without yeah. having to worry about Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy screwing up the future even more. They should not be allowed to trade any future picks. You want to trade down, buddy? Trade down, but you cannot move up. So this is just going to be awful.
0: I think the team to watch, and they never trade up, they actually always trade down, is the New England Patriots. Uh, You know, they spent a ton of money in the offseason. I think they're pissed off that Tom Brady left and won a Super Bowl elsewhere. Uh, They assigned Cam Newton, but I think most people uh, are not that excited about that project continuing. Uh, You know, I don't know if they could talk themselves into fields, maybe into Lance. I don't know. Uh, Regardless, I think that they are in on someone in this quarterback market, and I could see them being the team that makes a move. Uh, you know, the Dolphins confuse me. I don't know what they're up to, but regardless, they're trying to get as many picks out of this lurmy Tunsil contract <laughs> as, as, as this lurmy Tunsil situation as possible. So good for them. And the Panthers, I am not shocked at the Panthers at all because they signed Andy Dalton. I mean, they have Teddy Bridgewater on the books for a ton of money. He's not that easy to get rid of at this point. No one wants the guy because of how much money you paid him. And then if you're trying this Andy Dalton experiment, you are not in a situation to draft Sam a quarterback.
1: Darnold. I know they're both redheads, but it's Sam Darnold.
0: Right. Well, I know. But they still traded for Sam Darnold. So yeah. regardless, um, I don't know, you know, the, why the Panthers would be taking a quarterback now when it's going to be at least three years, you know, maybe not, maybe two years until the guy plays. Uh, who knows? I mean, teams have well, done dumb, dumber state. I mean, Jordan Love was taken by the Packers and he's not going to even play for them ever. So.
1: Well, and here's the other thing that we need to take a look at too, with all this going on. The name you haven't brought up, you brought up Lance Fields, and um oh god i can't, oh no no you didn't bring up uh you didn't bring up mac jones well i think he'll be gone at three that's why <laughs> oh, oh
0: so, so so the 49ers are taking yeah, that, that that's ultimately what i think but oh boy I, a lot of
1: 49er fans ooh, ooh, they love them some justin fields but i think they'd be better off with mac jones Who knows? But, and, and you know speaking of all of this the panthers getting another quarterback it, it doesn't make sense Because the amount of money that you're going to be paying the quarterback position is going to be ridiculously high. So to me, I I think the Panthers are out on the quarterback. I agree with you. I think they may look to next draft,
0: see Mm -hmm. how
1: that goes. Maybe they trade up, um, solidify some parts to their team. But I just go back to the Patriots. And if the 49ers take Mac Jones, Randy, they are moving Jimmy Garoppolo. Mac Jones is a day one starter. It, yeah. That's all there is to it. And to me, I think the Patriots would want Jimmy Garoppolo back. So that makes sense. So yeah. I, I don't know. Draft day is going to be interesting.
0: I cannot wait. Uh, by the way, draft day next Thursday, April 29th, we will have all your, well, you totally covered, uh, when the time comes for that, but, uh, our friend Matthew Neeland in the comments says Mac Jones is Andy Dalton 2.0 mark his words. So, Hey, Andy Dalton's had a nice career for himself. I think there could be worse outcomes for that. Uh, Dyland. Dylan, I'm sorry, my friend, if I pronounced your name wrong. Uh, anyway. Matt, It's time to talk about the defense in this draft. We've touched on a lot of the offensive prospects, and I think this draft is offense heavy. Defense is probably one of the worst defensive drafts I can remember there is not a, uh, a a blue chip prospect that you're hitching your wagon to necessarily. And just saying, he's the guy who's going to change our defense. Like last year, Chase Young was the guy and it didn't matter what else at that point. He was Michael Strahan reincarnated. Like it was, he was by far the best uh, and miles Garrett a few years ago. I mean, you, you know, Bradley Chubb a few years ago. I mean, there are guys that are always like there in the top five to 10 range that you could point to and say, this guy is going to change defense. There's just not that guy this year. And I think a lot of the issues are players opted out in 2020 because they didn't want to play with COVID. So you're evaluating them based on tape from two years ago. And I think that ultimately is harder to make a decision on because they're a year older. They haven't played. They haven't played. um, So it's harder. And then you mentioned before the show, they also there are guys who have also only played four or five games this year. So the the COVID situation really messed up uh, a lot of the draft uh, evaluations But also defensively, there's not one guy you can point to and say this guy is so much more talented than everyone else that he's got to be the guy who the team who needs something on defense is going to take. So I think that's where you and I start with our defensive rankings. I think we both agree that the best defensive player in this draft. Is Patrick Sertain of Alabama the corner? I think you and I agree he is the best defensive prospect overall, uh, and he is a day one shutdown corner. I don't. I, I think that you know there is no defensive lineman, linebacker that has higher upside than him.
1: Yeah, to me, it's also the bloodline with Patrick Sertain. I mean, we all know his father, who was a great NFL cornerback, r- really, really good, stud. So to me, what he offers, he's got good length. I mean, his wingspan is perfect for a cornerback. He can play zone. He can play man. He's not as physically imposing as you would like. But to me, Patrick Sertain is the best cornerback in this draft, the best defensive player in this draft. And not only that, you're talking about how many six-foot-two corners do you know? Not many, <laughs> not many. So you get the six foot two cornerback with a lot of wide receivers that are now trees. He's got great size. Yeah. yeah. Great size to me. I, and I, I kind of alluded to it last week. He, he's a top five player in this draft for me. I, I love mm. Patrick Sertain. I, I I absolutely agree with you. He's the guy. He's that shutdown corner day one. He's that good. He can take your best wide receiver and take him out of the game. Um, I know Farley is another name that a lot of people say he's the best cornerback in this draft. No, it, it's Patrick Surtain The second he is that good. I, I
0: love this kid. I just also think Farley could be used as a safety, so I'm not sure his position is just straight-up corner anyway. Um, But Sertain, you know, six foot two, 210 pounds, uh, doesn't lack strength. He benched 225 18 times. I think that's quite a bit for a corner. I mean, his speed, he ran a 4'4", 240. I mean, it's not the greatest, but it's pretty good for a corner, uh, and his size especially uh it literally last year i mean he was literally targeted 48 times and only allowed 21 complete completions for 273 yards like that is pretty damn good it's playing in the sec which we've seen develops a professional wide receivers like no other conference so uh i, I really do love certain quite a bit and when you look at the way that this draft could shake out there might not be a defensive player picked until number 10 and that is happens to be the dallas cowboys and they need defensive help in the worst way possible. And their secondary is not very good. And I can't help but to think this is the perfect landing spot for Sertain and also the worst possible outcome for me as a chance.
1: Yeah, it's a match made in heaven. He's going to help that pass rush immensely get better. <laughs> um, and you're talking about a division that's dominated by pretty good defensive lines
0: mm-hmm. in
1: Washington. Um uh, Philly, it really depends on what they do with their defensive line and what they want to do in the draft. Mm -hmm. But to me, Patrick Sertain comes in day one, and he's going to take out your best wide receiver. And the Giants don't have a wide receiver to worry about, so he's going to shut down your Uh, best offensive player. Kenny Galladay, hello. Uh. I've seen enough of Kenny Galladay with the Lions to know when your team – whatever. he was not a good a top-tier wide receiver with the Lions so good okay. luck
0: good hey luck. when he's healthy when he's healthy he's pretty good uh, all right yeah that top uh, 10
1: offense I'm still waiting that's Leon.
0: Right. yeah that's right don't hold your breath uh <laughs> One also aspect of the certain thing that I like is that when you when you practice, usually you know when you scrimmage against your team, you're playing. Uh, it helps when you're playing against the best of the best. And Alabama has developed some unbelievable wide receivers in the last five years. So certain has gone up against Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman Trophy. He's going up against Jalen Waddle, who is also going to be a top fifteen pick in this draft. I don't know how far back it goes for first retain, but you know, you could have gone up against Calvin Ridley. Uh, it could have gone up against a number of guys who you now see uh, in the pros. Uh, and I think that matters because I believe it was Janoris Jenkins who said back in 2016, that in practice, it helped him so much that he was going up against Odell Beckham Jr. Who was, uh, you know, at the time an all pro receiver. So uh, these guys get better, you know, iron sharpens iron is the old saying. So when this guy goes up against the best, it only elevates his play. So I, I like that uh, out of him as well. Um, Matt, as far as other guys that we like, it's hard to evaluate, but he has not played since 2019. But Micah Parsons seems to be one of the best, uh, you know, I don't want to call him an edge, I maybe mean, an outside linebacker, pass rusher. Um, Micah Parsons sort of reminds me a little bit of Isaiah Simmons from last year, So sort of pretty versatile guy all over the field, good tackler. But then again, there's no 2020 tape to evaluate. But this is one of the guys that sh- could be one of the first, uh, if, I mean, he might not be the first, but is one of the guys who's going to go after the first defensive players taken. There's a lot
1: there with Parsons. Oh, boy, where to begin? Um, off field, he's got plenty of issues. I, I don't love his off field demeanor. Uh, to me, he, he's not a character guy. But uh, on the football field, he, he will make a difference. He's, an, he's got some very, really tangible traits. He's got a really good first step. He reads def- our offenses fairly well. Uh, he, he's a football player. That's what I can say about the kid. I just, to me, where these defensive linemen, edge rushers come, middle linebackers, kind of a luxury, unless you get a guy that can play the box and also cover in pass, passing downs, basically a three-down linebacker at this point. We talk about three-down running backs, a three-down linebacker. I don't see Parsons as that three-down linebacker in the middle. So that really leaves you, can you play the edge? possibly i don't know the, the nfl is a different game i think parsons is a guy that i stay away from um it, it's not a deep linebacker centric draft this may be one of the weakest linebacking drafts i've seen in a long time so to me i, I just prefer to sit that one out see where he goes um to, to me uh, other guys that you can have there is um uh, collins out of tulsa kind of a smaller school but this this kid could be really good defensive end, outside linebacker, kind of that hybrid type that you see in nickel situations. I just I, I like other guys better. Than Parsons. Yeah, the two guys early on
0: in the draft were Parsons and Greg Russo from Miami, and to be honest, I don't love either of them uh, as you know edge prospects or whatever you want to call them because they just don't have the tape or the numbers to back up. Um, you, you hear that word potential, and that's great, but uh, you got to see some tape that backs that up a little bit to me. So you know some teams are going to be all in. I could see the Giants pulling the trigger on Parsons and hoping that he can become uh, a a pass that they desperately need um but i kind of think there's some better options uh i know a lot of people are really interested by uh georgia linebacker aziz Ojolari. i knew i would say his name wrong originally but i got it right the second time um he's got some he's kind of slow to me a little undersized but i think he has some potential if he lands in the right situation um I worry about the, the speed and the overall coverage with him. I think he should kind of be an edge guy, primarily a pass rusher, but I don't know if he's a consistent third, uh, three down, uh, linebacker by any means. I don't know what you know about us. He's Ojolari, Matt, but uh, he's one guy that's getting thrown out there too for a, a pass rush prospect.
1: To me, he all right. So I, Miami has two guys, Rousseau and another guy. Um,
0: yeah, Jay, uh, it's Jalen Phillips.
1: Yeah, Jalen Phillips. And then with the Georgia linebacker, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. You did it so eloquently, I'm going to leave it alone. (laughs) But those guys feel like 21 to 40 range picks. I'm not going that high. A kid that not, uh, he's starting to garner some steam, but I'm telling you guys right now, if you need a defensive back, there's guys in there like J.C. Horn, really underrated kid. I'd probably take cornerbacks over linebackers early on in this draft. Yes. Uh, I I know you're not a huge fan of Farley, more of a safety, you feel?
0: He looks – you know, I get big safety vibes. uh, Virginia used him in the safety quite a bit, and I think that is a better pro position for him.
1: Okay, yeah. But to to me, J.C. Horn is that second cornerback off the board Mm -hmm. that's going to make somebody really happy. I I think part of the issue were these – in a short season and with COVID, it seems like the offensive linemen really stood out, you know. So yeah. so we have this bottleneck of offensive linemen, and the, the defensive linemen really didn't get a chance to establish themselves. To me, pass rushers are like home run hitters. Once you get that little bit of a streak going, then you start getting that momentum and you start getting those sacks Mm-hmm. with a lot of the Big 10 kids they played five games a lot of the Pac 12 kids you know five six seven games here the SEC really didn't produce some high level pass rushers and that's you know not what we're used to really we, we usually see some pretty good prospects coming out of the SEC and even the ACC mm-hmm. but it's it's been so hard to really judge these kids so i'm not sure if it's adequate so you you're really taking a risk by going linebacker outside edge rusher in this draft early on. If I'm the giants, I don't love the defensive lineman prospects at my disposal.
0: So, I'll talk about a defensive lineman prospect. I could see the Giants taking at 11. I just want to touch on JC Horn quick. Mm -hmm. Um, Corey Decker asked us about him in my post earlier, asking who you're who, what you know, what defensive players you have your eye on for your team. Uh, and he said JC Horn for the Cardinals, you know, they are Patrick Peterson is gone. They, They did bring in, uh, what's his name from the Titans, but uh, the Patriots superhero from years past. But uh, nonetheless, J.C. Horn has good size. He's Malcolm Butler, thank you. Uh, J.C. Horn has really good sizes for a corner. He's very physical my issues is he lacks top end speed and he's very, very grabby. Uh He will get a ton of has interference calls. If he does not fix his technique, Uh he opens up his hips too early. And these are technical terms that you see with a lot of these corners, but they matter even more. So when you are playing the highest of the highest top end talent in the NFL, these, these receivers will wait for you to shift your hips one way. And the second you do, they're going the other way and you're screwed. They, this is why these, t- the technique matters so much with these guys Uh horn. And I, this is just a comparison because I hate the freaking guy, but Horn runs his mouth a ton. He's very passionate. He's very in, in your face. He, he looks like Josh Norman when you watch tape of him. Like he, he just reminds me so much of the guy. Cause I don't think Norman was necessarily a great cover corner, but he was physical. He could get in your psyche and those things matter when you're playing the top, the top of the top. If you could mess up, mess up their mental game, it can affect the whole game as well. So I like J.C. Horn in that aspect, but his overall talent, I worry uh, about how his skill level translates to the NFL. Uh, the guy that I was going to mention for the Giants, and I think overall the best pass rush prospect isn't a defensive end or a linebacker. I think it's a defensive uh, tackle. And his name's Christian Barmore from Alabama. This guy is massive. Uh, he's four, 300-plus pounds, or I think he's been 6'5", 300-plus pounds. He's kind of a late bloomer. But he had eight sacks in 2020 with 37 tackles overall, nine and a half tackles for loss. This guy impacts the game every time he plays. And he's playing in the SEC, so he's playing against other great offensive linemen. Uh, this guy gets the quarterback. And I mean, you know, we always talk about the direct line pass rushing of the interior defensive lineman, which helps because, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say he's Aaron Donald, but when you have an interior defensive lineman that draws a lot of attention that can disrupt the pass game, uh, it'd be, he's more versatile than just your traditional uh, up the middle run stuffer. Uh, I think if the Giants compare a, a guy like Leonard Williams with this guy, Christian Barmore, I think they would probably like to do that. Uh, however, they still have Dexter Lawrence and they I mean they did lose uh you know uh I, I can't even think of his name I don't know why but I'm blanking but anyway I like Christian Barmore a ton Matt Bushnell what did you I you didn't know I I watched a ton of and I can't help but just be impressed he's in on every single play yeah
1: I I think for me he's a big guy but to me I I just I think he's got slow feet and he lets people get into his body too much um technique seems to be his weak point where he lets offensive linemen with really good technique control where he goes Mm -hmm. and that's going to be a problem in the NFL he's big and he's raw and he was able to to manhandle smaller offensive linemen in the SEC which is kind of an oxymoron you really don't hear that much about small offensive linemen (laughs) in the Southeastern Conference but I, I just think when he gets to the NFL and you know, With these guys, it's hit or miss sometimes. You just don't know with big offensive or big defensive tackles. Vince Wilfork was a big hit. Um, we remember Aaron Donald was undersized. That's why yeah. he fell so much is because he yeah. was a smaller defensive lineman. Now he's the most impactful defensive lineman that may have ever played in the NFL. That's how these things are so volatile in these drafts. To me, I don't think he's worthy of the 11th overall pick. I just think there's so many other players available, especially when you have Dexter Lawrence yep. and um, Leonard
0: Williams. Who I understand you, Dave Guttleman loves hog mollies. So I understand it. He's going to love them. To,
1: to me, it's – I'm not sure – that you're drafting based on need versus potential i i I just i don't know i'm always a believer take the best player available no matter who's there that's just kind of i i don't think you go wrong that way my issue with what the giants are facing right now is you you don't know if daniel jones is that dude so you you got kenny galladay Uh, your offensive line obviously needs some work it's it's not perfect yet you get saquon barkley back from injury so you have to make a decision on that contract because this is year four they got to make a decision on that year five option Mm -hmm. but you need to do everything humanly possible to figure out if daniel jones is that guy i i think you have to draft a skill position player here um to me, if Devontae Smith is there, you got to take Devontae Smith. But speaking defensively, the Giants would be making a huge mistake drafting a defensive player at 11. And I know what you're saying about Gettleman. It makes perfect sense. Why they still have him as their GM is beyond
0: stupid to me. I want to talk about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, unless, uh, unless it's Patrick Sertain. I would welcome Patrick Sertain at 11 and pair him up with Bradbury. That would be awesome.
1: I, I have a real doubt. He's ever going to get there.
0: I I, I, do, I do too.
1: Um, a, a guy that we do that we can talk about real quick. That I wanted to touch on Greg Newsom from Northwestern. Okay. This kid is really good. Um, technique is perfect. I mean, you talk about textbook technique coming out of college football. Mm-hmm. He has it. Greg Newsom's just biggest worry war right here is the fact that he's hurt all the damn time. and, you know, Felipe and I always used to joke about it. Um, I can't remember the guy, Nate Brown. I'm not sure if that's his name or not. Um, wide receiver played for Eric Mangini and Eric Mangini would always ask, what's the greatest ability availability. <laughs> so um, G- Greg Newsom is like, are you willing to take that chance? Because if he's healthy, he's the second best cornerback in this draft and the, probably the second or third best defensive player in this draft that's how good Greg Newsom can be. You draft this guy, he could potentially be a number one corner in the NFL, but it's that freaking injury history that we talk about. He would be worthy of the number 11 pick, but the injuries, that's what worries so many teams about him.
0: Yeah, uh, totally fair. I want to get your thoughts on one guy in particular before we get to the requests we had earlier in the day, and it's another guy with uh, big NFL bloodlines and it is Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, of Florida State, the corner who shares a name with his father who was damn good in the NFL for a long time. Uh, my biggest concern with him, I would say, is uh, he's a little undersized. I think he's 5'10", 190, so I think that is a little bit of a concern. But you watch the tape, the guy just has this instinct that every like corners just don't always have. Uh, it's literally in his blood. <laughs> it's in his DNA. Uh, but he finds himself in there making plays constantly Uh, I wish the interception numbers were better than they are but they you know he's constantly he has a ton of pass breakups in his career Uh, I think he really does have a knack um, uh, for knocking the ball away and one of the qualities I like and uh, you know corners I think struggle with this but when the ball is in the air The ball is also your ball. It's not just the receiver's ball. You have to go up and make that ball your ball. And I think he has that quality better than any of the other corners in this draft. And he takes it personally if a guy tries to catch a ball on him. So I like Asante Samuel Jr. quite a bit here. I think he is the third best corner prospect in this draft. I don't know if he'll go in the first round, but uh, I think a team's going to be very happy when they take him.
1: Yeah, I have to wonder where he falls. To me, I agree with you. I, I think all those things are pretty well said about his ability To me, though, I don't think he matches up as a one or a two at cornerback. To me, he's an all-pro nickelback. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, in the NFL nowadays, you got to have three cornerbacks. Mm -hmm. And and that nickelback has to be really good. Um, Felipe, thank you for telling me it was Nate Jackson. And (laughs) Mangini said, what's better than ability? Durability. Mm -hmm. So that may have been the line there. Um, To me, Samuel falls in the second round, and I, I think that's probably what's going to play out here. I still think teams are fairly high on Farley. There's also another safety prospect that is in here that could cause Samuel to fall, and that's Trayvon Morrig from TCU. Like yeah, very hybrid mm-hmm. safety type, could play in the box. I think he's going to be very good in the yeah. NFL. He's going to go to one of those really good defensive yep. teams, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a problem in, those, in that 20 range. But Asante Samuel Jr., everything that you said i think he's going to be one of those guys randy when we talk about him in 15 years like man how the hell did he go in the second round because I, i think he's going to be very impactful he's going to be that turnover machine in that middle of the field you know quarterback making a really dumb throw he's going to be that dude that we wondered and it's going to be size based and it's probably going to be like no one really saw him as a one or a two. Can he play cornerback one or cornerback two? I think it's a possibility, mm-hmm. but I just don't know. I, I think he starts off as a nickel back in the NFL, and he's going to be really good at it. Um, I, I, I like his ascension better than a lot of other cornerbacks in this draft with outside of Patrick Sertain, because Patrick Sartain is just a physical beast at corner.
0: Right. I mean, I, I... – I think he could be an all-pro nickel. I think you're right about that. I mean, the undersized thing really uh, hurts his limitations outside, I think, especially getting matched up with some bigger guys, because as much as you want to go and attack the ball, you know, if you're playing going up against a six-four receiver, uh, that that's a huge difference there, obviously. Six inches is, is massive in the NFL, so uh, that, that's a huge uh, difference. Dalvin Tomlinson was the name of the giant I could not think of, and I'm sorry, Mr. Tomlinson, thank you for your service. Good luck in Minnesota. All right, moving on to the requests I had in earlier, and I don't know a ton about these guys, but um, Richie Grant was one of the guys that Leon Tompkins said he had his eye on for the, uh, Detroit Lions. He is the senior at a UCF. Um, look, I, I don't think he has a, a too high of a grade here played at UCF, obviously, but, uh, he is decent uh, NFL qualities that could translate and if he finds himself in the right situation um, you know he could be he could he could really be have successful I, I, I think the thing you're looking at here uh, he's an impact player on the defensive side of the ball he had 10 interceptions in his last 34 games and five career force fumbles so those can't be ignored I mean that's playmaking numbers right there so could a team welcome him in, him in as a number two corner and could he make an impact absolutely um, but uh, I don't know enough about Richie Grant I think he's a little undersized a little slow but uh and a little concerned about the technique Uh, but what do you know about Richie Grant Matt Bushnell?
1: I know more about his teammate than I know about Richie Grant and that's Aaron (laughs) Robinson um, who I think is a much better cornerback than um, you know Richie Grant maybe Uh, Richie Grant is a cornerback correct am I right on that?
0: Yes yes. I thought I said that my fault
1: yeah no you may have um, we'll look back on the tape we'll do our homework on this (laughs) <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't know a lot about the kid. You know, I think he was a benefit of being the second um, cornerback on a UCF team that featured Aaron Robinson. A- Aaron mm-hmm. Robinson is playing the outside 6'1, 193. The dude's a tackling machine. I think a lot of teams avoided Aaron Robinson, and that gave Richie Grant a lot of opportunities. leon saying he's a safety so that makes a little sense I, I just don't think he's the best player on the defense uh, you know aaron robinson's been the guy that i've heard a lot of people talk about mm-hmm. as falling in the draft in the second round that's going to make someone very happy um I, I'm, I'm trying to find something on richie grant here and it looks like they have him with a third round grade yeah um you know ball hawking safety
0: um Look, the turnover numbers are pretty good. I mean, they're, they're, you can't ignore that. I mean, that—that that is a. You know, that's the sort of secondary instinct I was talking about with Asante Samuel. So uh, that that sort of thing is good. But then you look at the, you know, when you when you go to the NFL, everything's a lot faster. And, you know, the, the things that are being critiqued of him is that he has average speed and he lacks uh, quickness and directional change. I mean, directional change <laughs> is everything in football. You can't have, <laughs> if you're slow on the on the turns, then you're, you're going to get burnt quite a bit. And that's a little bit of a concern for me as well. So um, maybe he's more of a strong safety than a free safety, but, uh, you know, he's a third round grade so I don't know how much you're totally expecting
1: out of him Yeah, to me the best player in that defense is Aaron Robinson Matt Nyland thank you for saying (laughs) Tay Galwin was he was also point. one of
0: the requests I was going to get to, but yeah. he requested that we talk about Tay Gowan, who was also a pretty successful uh, corner in secondary uh, on that UCF. But he has an even lower grade here um, for them. But he's 6'1, 186, kind of long, kind of gangly. Uh, but he did, he still added 20 pounds since going into college. So he was even skinnier when he got there. I think that's probably one of the concerns um, for them. But he's also only had one starter at, the, at, at this level. So I think that the lack of experience also. Uh, is something that teams are going to look at. Yeah,
1: I, I I see it right now. They're projecting between the fifth and seventh round for Tay Galwin, um potentially undrafted. I just, to me, you know, when when you have Aaron Robinson who could sneak into the first round as a cornerback, um, the, the NFL draft works weird with runs on positions. Um, you know, the guys that we really pay attention to on my end, since there's so many of these names and you know I don't get paid like Mel Kuyper. You don't get right. paid like Todd McShay. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, we, if someone wants to pay us to do this, I have no issue doing
0: that. Look, I still did my due diligence and I watched as much as I possibly could. So I don't want to come up here sounding like a moron when I'm talking about these guys. But you're right. We, we are not uh, scouts or draft evaluators by any means.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could tell you about Aaron Robinson all day long. The dude's (laughs) long. He wraps up. Well, he drives. Um, You get Aaron Robinson in the second round could be a first round cornerback. To to me, I I like him. Richie Grant. You know, I think when you lack that ability to turn your hips, change direction as a safety, you're toast. Because Mm -hmm. what these quarterbacks do with their eyes, they're going to trick you to look at one side of the field and boom, they're hitting the guy that just ran across your backside and you didn't even notice it. Um, And especially with a lot of these route combos, I mean, you're talking about a wide receiver running a dig and then another wide receiver running a post corner, boom, your safety's beat on that corner. It's tough. It's really tough in the NFL. These guys are the best of the best. And when you played one year at at a, I don't want to say a mid-major UCF, it it feels mid-major ish, but uh you got to play against the big boys and this is where they had a really good secondary UCF's not a bad program but to me I I tend to err on the bigger schools when it comes to their second or third position players mm-hmm. you, you know so to, to me, I'm a little I mean, skeptical. I mean,
0: Tay Allen could end up being a day three draft pick, you know, and, and and maybe maybe more of a project for some team, but I think he certainly has potential for sure. Um, but you know, like you said, the, the corner and and Richie Grant are gonna be guys that are gonna be day one, day two guys, and and could have an impact in year one, even I, I think uh you know that's a little bit of a reach for Tegallen at this point, but he could be drafted and he could have success eventually down the line. Uh, one of the other, we had two other requests. You mentioned Jameen Davis earlier, the linebacker from Kentucky. Um, he yeah. was one guy, you know, great athleticism all over the field. Uh, great vision, uh, you know, solid tackler. I think you could get a little bit better at that, but, uh, coverage, a little bit of a problem. The, the issue with me is that he's got 11 games. You only played, played 11 games in Kentucky. So the sample size, uh, is hard to evaluate as a whole, um, I think, you know, he's so super talented, but the lack of experience uh, in general, I think, is concerning. Um, And the speed of the the speed of linebacking, uh, being a linebacker in college and the speed of being a linebacker in the NFL could not be greater. Uh, You know, I I really can't stress that enough. So I worry about his speed. I worry about his overall quickness, but I like the guy as a prospect and I think he could be a really nice day two pick for someone.
1: I I think Jermaine Davis can sneak into that first round. Mm. Um, He's one of those guys, I mean, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan is another guy that kind of, yeah. (laughs) You you know, these guys, little different body types, but um, Jermaine Davis can make an impact. But like you said, to me, the the biggest concern is I I need more tape. You know, Um, a a lot of people... I go back to Mitch Trubisky. Uh, He came out because he he had all the physical attributes that you look for in a quarterback. You know, a lot of people said his accuracy. But when you don't have enough games on tape, this is where you miss on guys. You can't nitpick. And that's the thing, you have to nitpick. Uh, Jameen Davis, I I believe, um, watching some tape on him, his tackling is inconsistent. And that's not what you want to see out of a linebacker. Um, especially when guys start putting their heads down when they wrap to tackle. That is not good. If you can't keep your eyes on the ball carrier and you start looking down when you want to make impact, that's what leads to broken tackles, uh, missed tackles. Uh, To me, he's a project, but he's got those intangible traits where you could be like, yeah, if this guy goes to the right team, like a Pittsburgh, a Baltimore, Mm -hmm. he's going to be dangerous. But I'm just not sold on him as a top 15 pick.
0: The other thing he has going for him is size. Yeah. Uh, he's six, three and a half, two hundred thirty four 234 pounds. Uh, he could transition to an edge guy. Uh, I, I don't know if, if he's not a standalone linebacker, he could be a successful pass rusher in that aspect because the size is impressive. Uh, and so I think he has that going for him as well, but yeah, situation is so important. In a lot of these guys where they go and you know, where they get drafted. So the other request we had was Jamar Johnson, the safety out of Indiana, uh, six foot, 200 pounds. Um, is there something going on in the White Sox game? <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. I, I, I knew this name was coming, so yeah. I, I actually looked some stuff up. I, I liked Indiana this year, Randy. Mm-hmm. I did not like Jamar Johnson.
0: No, okay. Why Why is that?
1: I, I just think he's slow to recognize what's happening in front of him, and that's scary because he's not big enough to play in the box where you can react instinctively um diagnosing what's happening in front of you he's late to read where the ball's going and to me that's a fatal flaw in any safety because he's he has to play free safety i don't feel like he has top end game speed he looks a little slow in the pads so i, I worry about him to me it, it's developmental like yeah. if you draft this guy it's going to take some years he's a depth piece Could he start one day? I think so, but I'm not touching him in the first or second round, maybe the third or fourth round. If I have depth at that position Mm -hmm. and I just want to get there, Um, a perfect fit for him would be the Chiefs. I I think, you know, learning from a guy like the honey badger where he gets to put on some bulk and some strength, I think that would help him a lot
0: here. Yeah, I think uh, the speed worries me a little bit when you're a safety. Not being able to reach that next level, uh, you know, really is a concern for me. Uh, Inconsistent tackling, when you're a safety, you are, you know, the last line of defense. So in in an ideal world, you could be a good open field tackler. I think he's pretty inconsistent there. Um, I think he has potential. He could be that – nickel hybrid safety sort of thing. So every team could really use that in in theory, but uh, I I do agree. He is sort of a a project, but uh, nonetheless, an interesting prospect, you know, at uh, the NFL.com website has him uh, ranked as a guy who's going to be a starter in two years. So, you know, I mean, the way they grade is a little bit different, but still pretty interesting that they uh, are not the highest, but they're also not terribly low on him either. So,
1: yeah, no, I, I think he's perfect in rounds three or four. Because, like I said, I, I think you get to sit him and develop him. He's got to be able to see what's going on in front of him. Mm-hmm. And I know Matt Knightland, Matthew Knightland said that Johnson is Fields' kryptonite. Yes. Look, accuracy is Fields' kryptonite. <laughs> that throwing motion. I mean, if you have watched the show, uh. I have been brutal on Josh Fields. I do Justin not. Fields. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Josh Fields, third baseman for the White Sox. I hated him too. If you have the last name Fields, I probably am not going to like you. I'm kidding. Everyone has a clean slate in my book. But Justin Fields, his throwing motion, you you get to read where that football is going. Like, it, it is such a long, weird, like, God, I'm trying to – Hideo Nomo, how he used to wind up and, like, hold the baseball – one, two. All right, throw it, man. That's Justin Fields to me. Um, That's got to get fixed on Justin Fields if he's going to be an NFL quarterback. Um, Johnson, I I mean, look, he showed out one game. Um, He he really really did hold Fields to a subpar game there, but I am just not buying it. I, I don't I don't like Johnson as a day one starter, just later on.
0: Yeah, uh, poking fun at you now. And he says, then the Bears trade up to get Fields, and then the Vikings will draft Johnson. Sounds like a good next four years to me. <laughs>
1: I, 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 I'll say it right now. If the Bears trade up to four and draft Fields, I'm done. I, I'm out. I'm going to buy Chiefs gear. I, I'm, I'm going to complete the transition. I'm not going to be tortured by this Bears franchise anymore. I've had to endure, like we talked about it, Um, Mark Hatley. uh, Jerry Angelo wasn't bad. For as much crap as we gave Jerry Angelo, and I'll give people a little Bears history lesson here, Lovey Smith went to the Super Bowl about the same time his contract was about to expire. I think he had one year left. So the Bears had to re-up him. They gave him front office power, and then all of a sudden this team couldn't draft worth a shit. So Lovey Smith, good coach, shitty talent evaluator. To me um i I, i've done enough torture jake cutler uh jonathan quinn chad hutchinson all these quarterbacks so fuck off nyland um i I don't want justin fields i don't want josh fields i don't want any fields
0: hey we don't we don't attack the audience here you know we're very grateful for the interaction uh keep it coming uh
1: nyland knows i love him. that's my guy right there for the record he's a vikings and twins fan so he's like I'm bound by law to dislike his teams.
0: It's true. True. That's what geography did to you guys. All right. Before we wrap up on the show, I just want to get, I want to throw out a name for each of us here. I want to have a name for a guy that you're hitching your wagon to that you think is going to be good on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe some guy we haven't mentioned. And I want you to say a guy that you're completely out on that you think is bust written all over him, who team, someone's going to pick in the first round that you don't think is very good. I'll go first with a guy I think is going to be really good that we haven't mentioned yet he has three names two of them are pretty difficult to say but i'm gonna do my best but it's jeremiah owusu koromoa the linebacker from notre dame i watched a ton of notre dame games uh he had 62 tackles last year 11 tackles for loss, one and a half sacks and one pick and i just love his energy. I love his physical ability. He's a great tackler. Uh, I think he's a great, uh, I think he has great pass rush instincts. I think he has great speed. I think he's probably, I don't want to say he's the best tackler in this draft, but as far as linebacker goes, I would say he's the best linebacking tackler in this draft. And then the one thing that's super impressive to me about him is his coverage ability. I think he can cover tight ends down the field. He can cover in the middle of the field on crossing routes. And that is an underrated skill because so many linebackers get put in situations where they have to cover uh, athletic tight ends, maybe cover a guy in the slot and it almost never works out. And for him, I find him on a lot of his tape, in in coverage situations and he is very successful in there and them so i i whoever gets this i don't know if he's gonna end up going in the first round or not but i love this guy i think he's gonna make a very a team very happy i'm not gonna say his name again but i'm just gonna call him jok because that's what is <laughs> the initials so i'm all in on jok matt bushnell who's a guy that you're all in on all
1: right so he's not projected as a first round pick i think this guy's gonna be a steal um and that is carlos basham out of Wake Forest, 6'5", 275, um, really just a guy that um, in 2018, he went from four and a half sacks to 11 in 2019. Uh, that, that frame, he could put on a lot of size, 3-4 defense. We're talking this guy can make that jump. I, I, I like a lot of his traits. He's not fast, but he's got good moves good technique good hand placement and you know he can set the edge on the run and he can rush the passer so i think he's probably going to go in rounds two or three really sneaky goes to the right team this kid's going to be an all pro in the future See, related to former wwe tag
0: team don't, champions, do, it. Doug, Danny don't Basham. do it
1: don't do- why would
0: you do that i'm sorry this is where my mind went when he said bash him immediately <laughs>
1: Well, I I guarantee you, the Bashams did not get upfield quickly, and (laughs) they didn't have good get-off speed, (laughs) and they definitely didn't get a push.
0: No, 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 but unfortunately for Basham, the first thing I think of is the Basham brothers. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For a guy that I am all out on, who everyone else seems to be pretty high on, I'm not interested, is uh, the, the defensive end, Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Oh. Uh, not a fan. Uh, I, I just think he is very raw. I think a lot of his pass rushing stats are coverage sacks. Um, I just think his size is okay, but overall his technique is bad. I think offensive lines in the NFL are going to eat him up. Uh, he, I, he just—I don't know what it is about him, really, but he just isn't impressive on the tape. He had 11 and a half career sacks, which is uh, all right, cool. Uh, last year he started four games, made 16 combined tackles, and only uh, and had two sacks. But overall uh, he, I just, the, the, scouts love this guy. And to me, he's kind of slow, doesn't have a great pass rushing moves. A lot of times he just finds himself in the right situation at the right time. A lot of the times, the, you know, there's just nowhere for the quarterback to go or he's rolling out and he gets there in time to me, this guy's not going to be anything special in the NFL. Some teams going to pick him in the first round and expect the world of him. And I think he's going to be disappointing. Quiddy pay Michigan. Don't take him.
1: Wow. I, I'm going to take Jalen Phillips out of Miami.
0: Good
1: call, too. Yeah, I I, I just – I don't like what I see on tape. Um, a, a lot of people like him. I, I just uh, – t- to me, it was a really good defensive front for Miami with Rousseau. I think Rousseau is the better player. Um, Phillips, to me, I, I just – when you watch a guy and you want to see more, I want to see more flash. I want to see an outstanding trait, and he doesn't have that. I, I think when you go in the NFL – You have to have something that you do better than a lot of other people. And I just never saw that from Phillips overall. He's good to me in the NFL. He's a rotational piece at best, Um, probably coming off the bench. I I don't particularly like anything about him. Um, So I I think Phillips will be a bust uh, when it's all said and done. He's going to get drafted higher than he should.
0: Yeah. Interesting thing about Phillips is he originally enrolled at UCLA, uh, had a concussion and I believe had an ankle problem and retired uh, and then came out of retirement to join Miami. So uh, already some commitment issues there. (laughs) Um, I think he's talented. I think he's got good size, but overall, uh, I think I saw multiple people comparing him to Max Crosby, who is a solid player for the Raiders, but Mm -hmm. if that's your, your NFL comparison, I think I would try to go elsewhere.
1: Well, and Matthew Nyland, home run Mm -hmm. participation here sir (laughs) um you know phillips has injury and concussion history Mm -hmm. that that's scary enough for a defensive lineman and then he also agrees with you not a fan of pay either i kind of like pay um I i think there's something to be said about being in the right place at the right time
0: okay well, maybe he will land in the right situation because that would definitely help him because if a team like the Giants, for example, picks this guy and expects him to change their defensive alignment, they uh, I think they're going to be disappointed. All right, Matt Bushnell, anything else on the defensive side of the ball uh, for the draft upcoming that you want to mention before we say goodbye?
1: I would watch out. If corners start going, I think you're going to see six to seven cornerbacks drafted in the first round. Wow. Yeah, there's the, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you figure Certain, Horn, um, Newsome. I could see Samuel going, and there's a couple of other guys out there that I also like. Um, Aaron Robinson could be a fringe guy. Kansas City got a little bit exposed in the secondary against Tampa Bay. I mm-hmm. think that they're going to have to upgrade either at the safety position or at the cornerback position. I think they'll go corner.
0: Tyson Campbell, Georgia is a guy that people like. I could see him going there, too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a run on corners for sure. Uh, probably late first, I would say. A lot of these playoff teams that are looking for for secondary help, I think I think you're on to something there.
1: Yeah, and you never have enough cornerbacks in the NFL with all this wide receiver talent.
0: Nope. Not at all. Uh, all right, Matt Bushnell, um, you know, I'm back this week and thankfully because I missed you last week quite a bit. Um, but I also miss all the other great shows we have on our, uh, football, on our life group umbrella. Uh, why don't you tell us about the ones we have coming up? Absolutely. This,
1: this may be my favorite part of the show <laughs> <laughs> on Thursday with Corey Richmond, Jason Brooks, the Workshoot wrestling podcast, um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff, Randy, about Monday Night Raw. It has mm-hmm. got stay-away status. No
0: bueno.
1: It, it is bad news there. Um, But I, I I, dig what they do. The WrestleMania stuff was really good. Go check that out. I really enjoyed it. Friday, we have the Step Back Podcast. Man, we are talking about some pretty interesting stuff going on in the NBA world. And Nick fans are getting those hopes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 hope they land easy in the playoffs. I, I hope they're gonna. They might get that four seed. If they get that four seed. Anything's possible until they face <laughs> Brooklyn, and Brooklyn waxes them. But yeah, different story a different day. Yeah. Uh, and then Sunday, the Total Bases podcast. With Felipe, oh, I'm sorry, the step back has Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses. Love those guys. They're like our brothers. Really good. I love mm-hmm. teasing Leon about the Lions and just talking to Jacob about how bad that Sam Darnold pick is. Um, Jacob may be the biggest Sam Darnold fan outside of Sam Darnold. So yes, H- hit him up with that information. <laughs> and then we also go to Sunday with Total Basis Podcast, Felipe Melicio, Sean Flannery, These guys break down all the intricate parts of fantasy baseball, and Lord knows I need help. uh, I'm playing Felipe this week in fantasy baseball, Randy, and I'm like the New York Yankees.
0: I am, I am the worst team in baseball. Boy, this guy
1: just awful. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, pay attention because this is how you do a segue right into Dong City with two (laughs) Yankee fans and Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. tough time to be a Yankees fan. Mm, Let me tell you.
0: There's a saying in life. It just goes, it's April, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I keep telling myself. Eventually, it's not going to be April anymore, but that's what I keep telling myself for now.
1: Jose! Second home run today, baby. He's back.
0: Well, well, that is also a great transition because I want to give an update on our bet uh, that we made before the baseball season began. uh, This is where I was very confident in the Yankees, and that has shifted since. Um, But the bet, uh, as we know, I predicted the Yankees would make it further in the 2021 baseball season than the Chicago White Sox. And currently, the Yankees are 5-10, 5-10, and 10, the worst record in the American <laughs> League, currently tied 1-1 against the Ronald Acuna-less Atlanta Braves. So what's the update on the White Sox right now?
1: White Sox are beating Cleveland 8-2. to Our no-hitter extraordinaire pitcher pitched today, Carlos Rodon. Mm. Went five innings, gave up one earned run, walked a bunch, struck out a bunch. But the White Sox seem to be on their way, top of the seventh, Looks like this is going to be a win for the good guys. So Let's face it, Randy, both our baseball teams have been underwhelming to this point.
0: Underwhelming is not even the word for the Yankees. There are some other four-letter words I would like to add there, but I won't. Uh, Nonetheless, it's early. I have faith that they will turn it around. They're too talented to be this bad. That's what I keep telling myself. There are some glaring issues, but they'll be there hopefully in the end. Uh, We'll see. But, you know, Matt, this is another episode in the books for us next week. uh, The last show before the draft, uh, we're going to go full mock draft, right?
1: Yep, we we are going to go full mock draft, courtesy of the mock draft simulator. Mm -hmm. We're going to be reaching out to some folks, Yes, see see if they're interested in participating in a mock draft extravaganza. Obviously, I will be choosing for the Bears and staying at number 20. Uh, (laughs) I have no interest in trading the number 20 overall pick. (laughs) Um, We're going to be standing still, but also I will also be wearing my Kansas City Chiefs hat. (laughs) and we may be moving up so all right good stuff
0: all right. Well, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see, we might be doing something for the draft on Thursday, but uh, nonetheless, an exciting time in the football calendar, Matt Bushnell. And I'm excited to do that with you next week. Uh, you know, be kind to everyone, be nice to everyone, be a good person, uh, do your civic duty, get vaccinated so we can all go back to the life that we once to lo- lo- loves to live. Uh, so uh, this has been football. Life presents the audible. Thank you guys for participating in the Facebook live comments. Thank you for watching us wherever you're watching us, whether it's on Facebook live or YouTube, or if you're if you're listening to us on any of the audio only platforms those are important too. your anchor your spotify your apple wherever you get your podcasts we greatly appreciate it so wherever you are listening however you are listening thank you for making us a small part of your day i'm randy Hammond on behalf of matt bushel saying see you guys next week